Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of June 25th, 2020, including Microsoft is officially pulling the plug on Mixer, 343 teases new details about Halo Infinite for the first time since the Korean War, EA held their EA Play live event this week, and more. guys successful job making sure that we as xbox fans made sure that sony fanboys didn't have a successful last of us part 2 launch i know we all did our very best in making sure we review bombed the hell out of that game because sony's dumb and playstation's dumb and xbox rules so i want to give a special thanks to all of you who participated in the review bombing everything went according to plan and i think we did an awesome job of telling all those uh, developers at Naughty Dog that their creative vision doesn't matter simply for the fact that they are owned by Sony and that uh, Xbox is better than them. So congrats on that. Just a really special shout-out to the Xbox community. And then aside from that, we'll get into our comments and shout-outs and whatnot from last week's episode. We'll just jump right in this week. we got a, a good handful here. So Dead Captain James comments in regards to my my thing I said last week about how, you know, if I ever did like a nerd culture or podcast that's not about Xbox, maybe that's about just some more general things in the nerd culture realm or whatever, maybe I would call it outside the box. But he, you know, outside the box because this song, this, this podcast is Xbox on. So I thought that was clever. But Dead Captain James says, Joke's on you. I'm starting a podcast all about PlayStation called Outside the Box. Now, Dead Captain James, guys, go ahead. Feel free to start start canceling Dead Captain James. Be sure to tell him that he's a pony and that he loves The Last of Us Part Two, even though we all know it's a stupid game for stupid people. Be sure to tell him uh, a lot of really mean things and make sure that you make it as hurtful as possible because nothing's personal on the internet. So go ahead and make sure you trash that guy. And then our next comment here comes from my brother Josiah who says, I'm trying to comment, but naked people keep popping up on my screen. So yeah. Next up, David White says, pretty weak that you've only played 58 hours of Destiny 2. Not going to lie. All right, guys. So David White here is a uh, is a piece of shit. He's a pony. He's a Sony fanboy. So go ahead and uh, please start, you know, canceling David White. Remember, he's the one who thinks that uh, The Last of Us Part 2 is a, a really good game. And he's the one uh, who thinks that killing off all the important characters is the, is the best way to make a sequel. So remember, David White's an idiot who thinks Last of Us Part 2 is a good game. We all hate that. Remember, we're Xbox. We don't we don't like Last of Us Part Two, so go ahead and cancel David White. He's a, he's a loser. All right, our next comment here comes from Mr. Lindbert Bond, who says, "I always enjoy hearing you chat about food, so I was thinking about your favorite pizza type and topping." Finally, thank you, Mr. Lindbert. This is finally a real thought-provoking question. Speaking of outside the box, Dead Captain James, this is what I'm going to actually probably name my pizza podcast, Outside the the Pizza Box. So. This is a great question. Happy to answer it. Happy to divulge all about my favorite pizza toppings. So I went through, I'll be pretty honest with you. I went through a pretty rebellious phase in my teenage years where I simply thought that 
the whole world was overreacting about how, you know, there's nothing better than a classic pepperoni pizza. You know, I, I think if you think about pizza, obviously everyone's concept of pizza in the in the, in the the Western world or more particularly maybe even in North America where we're obsessed with our cheap, shitty pizza. You know, I'm... I've never been outside this country, but I'm, I'm going to make a I'm, I'm going to venture to say that the mass majority of the world's concept of pizza is probably shitty pizza. You know, brands like Domino's and Pizza Hut have taken over the world. I bet no matter where you live, pretty much your your basic concept of pizza is probably some shitty delivery pizza. But that being said, you know, everyone's basic concept is is cheese and pepperoni, probably more so pepperoni. Cheese is more like the, the kind you get when you're like when you're like seven, you know, but I got to be honest, I went through a long phase, probably sometime starting in middle school through my high school years where I was feeling really rebellious. I wanted to be really anti-culture. And I was all about that whole like pepperonis are really overrated uh, take on pizza. I think there are lots of better takes. And during those years, I was very experimental uh, with my pizza preferences. And I definitely experienced the spectrum so to speak when it came to this uh slice of pie that we all come to love and so yeah i i I went through a phase where i was really into this combination of green bell peppers and bacon on pizza yeah green bell peppers and bacon and i thought it was actually a really good combination i actually stand by to this day it is a pretty damn good combination of pizza if you've never tried it it's yeah it's definitely it's definitely worth a try i find that it's it goes best with like like a thinner New York slice. So I went through a long phase where like that was kind of my thing. And then towards the end of my experimental rebellious phase, I found that I really like just like grilled chicken on pizza. So like of like the popular fast food pizza chains, I I actually quite enjoy this from the Domino's. I, I enjoy just, you know, one topping is just grilled chicken. I think it's actually a pretty solid topping. And my girlfriend, you know, when we first started dating, she thought that was kind of a crazy take she thought that was quite heinous but i i got her into it and now these days and i ask her what topping she wants on her pizza oftentimes she says grilled chicken so what do you think about that you fucking idiots i got i got people hooked on chicken pizza so i guess what i'm trying to say is there have been different phases of pizza for me i think when i was really young i really liked like uh, sausage pizza. But as I've grown older, you know, I, I guess I, what I should have prefaced is, is pizza is probably about like a good 75% of my diet. I try to eat pizza minimum of two times a week. It's very important to me that I, that I do that. And as I've gotten older, I've really, I've really kind of mellowed out and stopped trying to be so cool and, and go against the grain. And I've really kind of come back from running away from home so much and, and found that pepperoni pizza is good. It's, it's comforting. It's delicious. Sometimes it's not, you know, the thing I'm feeling, but I really like a good pepperoni pizza. It's uh, as as I've gotten older and as I've calmed down and, and stopped being so rebellious and angry at the world, I found that 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 kind of calming of, of my personality has really paralleled with my pizza tastes and that pepperoni has really grown on me in ways that I'd never understood throughout my life. And I now am able to kind of understand where the appeal comes from. So these days I gravitate towards the, the typical pepperoni pie, but I still like, I love Italian lovers pizzas. Like anytime you throw like shit, like onions and peppers and sausage and pepperoni and all that crap on a pizza. I love that stuff. I don't really think there's such a thing as bad pizza. I don't know if I've ever really had like a bad combination of pizza toppings. I will say I've never, I've never tried the sardine pizza. I know that's like a common joke for kids is like, Oh, sardines. That's a gross thing to put on a pizza. I've never had it. I can't really speak to it. I know the pineapple ham combination, the Hawaiian pizza, as they call it, is a very controversial take. I know the kids on the internet like to get very up in arms about the pineapple on pizza thing. 
Honestly, as much as I, I actually, I'll be honest with you. I enjoy pineapple pizza. I enjoy Hawaiian pizza. It is never my go-to. Is never my number one pick. But if it's there, I'll have a piece. I don't mind it. It's I don't. I think people overreact about how bad it is. I think the sweet savory combination is just fine. Uh, it's not my it's not my go-to, but it, there's it's not offensive either. And I, and I think people are simply overreacting about that. But yeah, I think these days I default to the the pepperoni. Every now and then I'll go for like a supreme or an Italian lovers kind of deal. But yeah, the classic pepperoni, you just can't beat it. It's like it's like the one topping you put on a pizza that is it's both complimentary but not overbearing a lot of times you know a, a supreme pizza or an italian lover's pizza kind of thing will will sound very good or even a meat lover's pizza will sound very good but what you find is after a slice or two you get tired of it because it's just such an overwhelming combination of flavors but that pepperoni it's like it like takes the cheese pizza and twists it by adding that flair that that greasy, meaty flavor, um, but it's not overdoing it to the point where, you know, two slices of pepperoni pizza and you're tapped out. Pepperoni, that's that's the kind where you can keep going. You can do the whole box by yourself, and I gladly do pepperoni pizza, an entire box by myself, and, you know, that's something I pride myself on is the amount of pizza in which I can eat, and these days I find myself consuming lots of pepperoni pizza. I'm, I'm sorry to get so in the weeds about it, but you asked me a very compelling question, and I, I think I gave you a compelling answer. So I hope you enjoyed walking down memory lane a bit and kind of going over my personal tastes and opinions regarding pizza. And uh, please feel free to share me with me your favorite types of pizza. I'd love to hear not just from you, but from anyone. Tell me all about what you like from pizza, uh, what you like on your pizza. Tell me. Tell me what you like on your pizza. I don't care. Everyone likes something different, and I'm uh, I'm not here to judge. Even if even if that's a, something as obscure as putting a jock strap on your pizza, that's that's your thing. I'm happy for you. Our next comment here comes from my brother again. He's coming back again this week. He goes, almost everything that comes from WB Games is a licensed title, so I doubt Microsoft would pick them up. And this is, of course, in regards to the news last week that WB Games or AT&T might be looking to spin off WB Games and sell them to potential buyers like Activision or Ubisoft. But he says, that being said, Back for Blood is being published by WB Games. So if Microsoft bought WB, maybe we could see that as the beginning of a Microsoft getting their hands on one of the coolest studios in the industry. That is of course, Turtle Rock Studios, the public, the developers behind Back for Blood, who were the original, of course, developers of the first Left 4 Dead before they sold it to Valve, and then Valve made the sequel for Left 4 Dead. Uh, so this is an interesting one because, and we'll get into this a little more with Lethal Migraine's comments coming up, and it's that, you know, I don't know that the acquisition of WB Entertainment comes with the IP. Uh, I think it was something like the potential, the, the, the sales number they were talking about was like potentially for like $4 billion. So I assume that like, for that kind of money you get some ip the thing is i don't think it's about really how much money they're giving you for the ip i think it's really about like where contracts are tied up wb games is kind of a a weird situation where like some of the licenses they have because they're wb and some they have through certain contract contractual obligations so i don't think because you buy wb games you automatically get the licensing for like lord of the rings and harry potter and all that stuff i think and some of it you get automatically and some of it you don't. So things like Back for Blood, like, yeah, if you if you buy that, you probably get Back for Blood from Turtle Rock. But I don't think you get 
like Batman and Lego and all that shit in one felt swoop just because you bought WB games. We don't really know the ins and outs of that, so it's kind of purely speculative. And that's what kind of intrigues me the most about this is like, is this purchase worth it? Are you just buying the development talent or are you also getting the intellectual properties behind what, you know, the games these studios make? So I don't really know. None of us really do. So that's, I think, the the big telling point of all this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I still am not a fan of Microsoft buying them. And we'll get into that with our next comment here, which comes from Mr. Lethal Migraine, who takes umbrage with my, with my approach and my opinions last week regarding this story. He says, Jesse, come on, man. Nobody's better set up to buy WB games than Microsoft or, or Xbox. He says, he breaks it down to three points. He goes, one, last earnings call in April, Microsoft had $125 billion of cash on hand. Number two, buying WB games would get Xbox a comic book game for those people. I personally couldn't care less. That's what he says, but I also agree. And then number three, he says, they could keep all the WB games multi-plat and have a ton of things to put on Game Pass, which in and of itself would get a lot of people to subscribe. So while for the most part, these are pretty valid points, I think, I I guess where I came from was that I didn't, I I really came from it last week with from more so from the perspective of his point too, where like, I personally don't give a shit. I don't, I'm not a huge superhero fan in in, in general, with the exception of like Spider-Man and DC in particular is where I really don't give a shit about superheroes. Like, I don't care about Batman. I've never thought he was a compelling character. I don't, you know, I just don't care about the joking man or, or the Superman or any of that stuff. So I like, it just doesn't resonate with me whatsoever. I don't really care about Harry Potter. In fact, I, I actually kind of loathe Harry Potter. I think it's kind of a, like a hilariously bad universe. I don't like Hogwarts or the magical British men. I don't think it's a very fun universe at all. I think that, that, franchise is like way overblown in terms of popularity and then as far as like tolkien goes and and lord of the rings and all that that's that's a that's a thing where like i respect that property i think it's cool i get why it's so beloved but it's not one that personally resonates with me so just for me it's like it came from this perspective of like i seriously don't give a shit about wb and the ip they hold for the most part i do care about their development talent because they do have some great teams um, you know, they have Nether Realms, they have Avalanche, they have they have Rocksteady, so they could they could make some very fantastic games uh, with or without that IP, thanks to the talent, of course. But that's really where I was coming from it uh, was, you know, I, I don't really give a shit about about this move because I don't care about these properties. But of course, it would be a smart business move just for the sake of having more things. I Now, to your point about them buying it, keeping buying WB Games, keeping a lot of these franchises multiply and then using Game Pass as a way to entice people to subscribe and play the games on Xbox. I disagree with this. And I think Phil Spencer's kind of spoken to this in recent interviews where he said like, he kind of agrees that, you know, putting things like Cuphead and Ori in the Blind Forest and things like that on a Nintendo Switch and stuff has been a little bit of a mistake in that they're going to try to reel that back from now on. With the exception of like Minecraft just being a multi-platform thing, I think Microsoft's made it pretty clear that they're not going to really be doing this much more, this whole multi-platform uh, thing when it comes to games they own. And I think that's the right move. I really don't, I really, I don't know. That's almost an example of Microsoft being like, too consumer friendly where they're like just giving everyone access to play anything on any console it's like it gets to a point where it's like okay you got to have some exclusives to to really make the xbox brand enticing and i think if you buy some like wb games you you go ahead and you let your rock steady game and your netherrealm game 
be console exclusive. I, of course, they're on PC as well, but you, you, you tell that's that's when you that's when you draw the line and tell Nintendo and Sony to suck it because you, you spent the big money on on the on the Batman guys. You know, that's I don't know. I I don't agree with making it multi platform, and I don't think Spencer agrees with it because he's kind of like I said, he's kind of alluded to this already. But yeah, I think. At this point, this is kind of harmful to the brand because a lot of people keep using the whole Microsoft being so consumer friendly and open platform as as a as an excuse to be like, well, that's why PlayStation's better is because PlayStation games are only on PlayStation. Xbox just keeps putting their games everywhere. So why would I buy an Xbox and blah, 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 blah. And of course, you know, at the end of the day, Microsoft cares about Game Pass subscribers, xCloud users, live subscribers, things like that, a lot more than they care about selling consoles. I think that optics is still important. So it's kind of like a delicate thing where you have to, you have to, total line just so where it's like yeah obviously they're not number one concerned about the number of xboxes they're selling but you gotta you gotta give a shit to a certain extent just so you know you can kind of justify to the more mainstream audience why you have your box around and so I, i i don't know about you know buying studios just to keep their games multi-platform we're seeing exceptions with things like psychonauts 2 and uh the outer worlds and that's because microsoft is buying these studios while they're in the middle of developing games that have already been agreed to with third-party publishers to to put these games on multi-platform so that's why we're, we're getting situations like that but i think going forward you know like with obsidian we'll see it with grounded and going forward that these studios are gonna, are gonna start making their games exclusive to xbox and pc so i i don't know about that point but lethal migraine continues he goes it's more than just batman and harry potter though all the lego games all the mordor games the mortal kombat games and justice and, and keep all the lego games multi-platform just like minecraft and, and roll in the dough do a mortal Kombat versus killer instinct game i am not a fighter game myself but amazon took the killer instinct team from xbox a few years back which is why those games dried up netherrealm would uh be a great replacement in the genre xbox doesn't have so that's a really good point too actually because killer instinct was actually kind of one of those like those like sleeper wins, those sleeper hits for Xbox, where it was like Killer Instinct was a great game. People really liked it. It had a small and dedicated user base, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like mainstream success. It wasn't like Doom, Bloodborne, and God of War numbers or anything. It is kind of sad that they don't have that, and this would be an opportunity for them to get arguably the best fighter studio out there. Uh, NetherRealm, the Mortal Kombat guys, you know, that's the, the guys that make Mortal Kombat and Injustice. That's easily regarded as one of the best teams for that kind of game so i agree with that but again this just falls under that thing where it's like it's hard for me to be enthusiastic about this because like i don't give a shit about fighter game fighting games i don't care about mortal Kombat. i don't care about the mordor games or the, or the lego games or the harry potter games or any of that shit so it's just hard for me to show any kind of enthusiasm but again i'm gonna stand with that whole microsoft needs to focus on talent that can make original ip for their consoles I don't know. I, I think it's still weird to this day that that PlayStation has an exclusive Spider-Man game on their console. Although that one makes a little more sense, just because there is that kind of corporate precedent sent with Sony Pictures having the movie licensing from Marvel for the Spider-Man movies, and you know, like PlayStation Three having the Spider-Man Three font for their console. There's just always been this weird kind of correlation and relationship and partnership with like Marvel, Spider-Man, and PlayStation or Sony as a parent company. So that one kind of made sense, even though apparently the story is that Insomniac chose to make Spider-Man. They weren't told to make Spider-Man. But that's like the rare exception of like uh, of like these studios making like, I don't know, exclusive games for their console based on like a popular IP. I, I just don't think, I don't know, to me that just doesn't sound cool. Like Xbox getting out on stage and Phil Spencer being like, we got Batman and Harry Potter coming exclusive to Xbox Series X. Like, 
I don't know. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for like Xbox games. I'm looking for like Halo and new IP that that feel authentically Xbox. I'm not looking for them to become the next Disney and just start buying all the shit that already has cachet with with audiences because that's just I don't. Know, that's no fun. But whatever. That that whole story about WB is still super speculative, so I don't want to dwell on it too much more. But Lethal Migraine, I appreciate your your input and your opinions and would love to know what your favorite pizza toppings are. So go ahead and, and let me know uh, in the comments for next week's show. So that's going to do it for all of our comments, shoutouts, questions, concerns, uh, dire needs from the audience this week. And remember, as always, guys, don't be shy. Reply. Next, we're going to get into what I've been playing. But of course, before I can ever tell you about the games I've been playing, uh, as they are not nearly as relevant, I, I must tell you about what I've been eating. And I won't focus on this too much as we did just do an extensive uh, discussion on my pizza habits, but uh, I I had to say the food game in my life has not been super exciting as of late, obviously. We've all been dealing with the the staying at home and the the coronavirus and all this this bullshit, so I don't know. I just I'm I'm still not comfortable with really going out and sitting down in a restaurant and eating, so my my food experience hasn't been all that exciting these past few months, and I'm really starting to get to the point where I'm like I'm feeling it, I'm just feeling that. Like, I don't know. I'm just eating garbage. I'm just fucking rummaging through the fridge and eating, like, grilled chicken and asparagus and crap like that. So I don't... There's nothing really exciting going on in the realm of food for me. I, I, I desperately miss my Disney theme park food. That is a huge reason why I moved to the Sunshine State, the Florida State, the rainy state in the first place is because I wanted to consume Disney theme park food on a regular basis and just haven't been able to do that in a long time. And I really miss it. I could really go for some of those Disney French fries that everyone says taste like McDonald's knockoff fries, but I think are better than McDonald's fries. I could really go for some of those or just, uh, I don't know. I miss it, but that's, that's really where I'm at with food right now. I'm kind of jaded and sad and just food has not been the bright spot of my life lately, but I will tell you what has been the bright spot of my life as we will now get into the games that I've been playing. So disintegration, I kind of put that on the back burner for the next game I've been playing. I plan on getting to that this weekend and kind of plowing through it and getting into it a little more. I, uh, my brother did get it, like did get disintegration this past week as well. We tried to play some multiplayer together one night and just could not match make into a game to save our fucking lives. And so a quick a quick little Reddit search showed that apparently a lot of people on both Xbox and PlayStation have been having matchmaking issues in the game. And so I haven't really been able to determine if it's if it's like low player count because no one bought the game or if it's like server issues. But when when I'm finished with the next game I'm playing, I will go back to disintegration, finish up the campaign and give multiplayer another try. Hopefully whatever the problem is will have been ameliorated by then because I would really like to play more disintegration and show my support for v1 interactive and hopefully get some multiplayer fun out of it with my brother but unfortunately for now disintegration is on the back burner while i play drum roll game number two which is the last of us part two that's right guys this whole show is a sham 55 episodes down the drain i'm not an x-bot i fooled you all i fucking hate halo i hope halo infinite bombs i only care about the last of us and and the uncharted and the spider-man and the god of war and I'm a real Sony fan, and I really like the Souls games. I really like games where you die 400 fucking times just to beat the next boss to go to the next room where you die 400 times more. I love PlayStation. That's my shit. And I've been playing The Last of Us Part Two. you fucking Xbox. I, I fooled you all. Last of Us Part Two. I'm probably about 16 hours into it. Uh, looks like it's about a 20, 25-hour long game. 
I think I'm pretty far. I think I'm I'm approaching the third act at at the very uh, at the very least. But I'll be honest, this game is such an emotional roller coaster in terms of how I feel about it. I was very excited for it going into it because I really do love Naughty Dog. I think Naughty Dog really is like and it's. I don't think this is overrated to say at all. I, I know people widely consider this to be true, but I don't I don't think this is one of those overblown statements. Naughty Dog truly is one of the great game developers of the modern era, and I think they deserve all all the applause and all the credit in the world for the kind of way they've taken the AAA game and really pushed it forward with marrying, you know, narrative and gameplay with, no, sorry, gameplay with, like, narrative and really pushing forward the boundaries of storytelling in games. I really do think they have done an excellent job of that. I think the Uncharted games were phenomenal. I think the first Last of Us was phenomenal. But I do, I don't know, I, I guess this is what I forgot going into Last of Us Part Two was that when Uncharted 4 came out back in 2016, whatever it was, I was super excited to play that and was by far the most disappointed in that game that I'd ever been in any Naughty Dog game ever. And it, it's such a conflicting way to feel because Uncharted 4, in my opinion, is undoubtedly the best Uncharted game from like a cutscene perspective and a story perspective. But from a gameplay perspective, it's the worst Uncharted game because the game, they try to open up the combat and the levels a little more so you can have like more approaches to combat and things like that, which I appreciate. But the problem is what they really ended up doing is just taking the platforming and dragging it out, taking the combat and dragging it out to the, to the point where the game feels like it just like shoves in a bunch of really average gameplay as an excuse to get to the really rich and interesting story. And I totally forgot that that was my experience with Uncharted 4 going to The Last of Us Part 2. So I was expecting, you know, like another Uncharted 2, Uncharted 3, Last of Us 1 kind of experience where like the whole thing is just so gripping from start to finish. But Last of Us Part 2, I think, has the exact same issue as Uncharted 4, where it's like, they made this game so unnecessarily long for no good reason at all. It's like the story is immediately interesting. The characters are immediately interesting. I will say Last of Us Part Two. again, this is not an, I'm not, this is like, I'm not even exaggerating. Best animation I've ever seen in a video game, period. Like not only like the quality of the animation, but the amount of animation. They animate so much shit in this game. Like you can interact with a door or fucking like pick something up or melee an enemy. And like a hundred times out of a hundred times, it's almost like you get a different animation. There's just so many approaches to the animation in this game. And I think that is an incredible feat in and of itself. That doesn't make the game all that more fun to play, but it makes it that much more immersive and interesting to look at and impressive and respectable from a from a presentation standpoint. So Last of Us Part Two is so incredible to look at. The graphics are phenomenal. The facial the facial animations are amazing. Just the animations in general are so varied. There's so many of them so great looking. But the game immediately goes into boring mode where it's like a really interesting setup and then boom, the story just like plateaus. And then the you know I kept forcing myself to play it because I'm very invested in the characters of this game and, and all this. And I don't know why I'm, I don't mean to talk about this too much. I know this is an Xbox podcast, but Last of Us is such an important story right now because it's kind of the biggest thing happening in gaming. And I know a lot of Xbox gamers are absolutely intrigued by what's going on right now. So this is somewhat tangentially related. And, you know, what Naughty Dog does is relevant to the whole industry because they really are spearheaders in, in terms of, in terms of modern AAA games. But yeah, I mean, the it's, it's really as simple as this. Like the story is, absurdly compelling at the beginning and then the gameplay immediately becomes uncharted for where it's just i'm so tired of like like if i'm doing this simple task why does it take me two hours of gameplay to just get to the next part where it's like 
it's a really mundane tr- thing I'm trying to do, but I just got to go through all these buildings and fight all these zombies and, and stealth kill my way through all these enemies just to get to the most mundane thing. And and for the most part, it's kind of excusable because the game's good enough that I, I don't really care, you know? And I guess the bigger problem here at large is that Naughty Dog makes, like, pretty, pretty average games from a gameplay standpoint. Like, the gunplay is fine. It's not great, but it's not bad. The platforming is like okay. It's not great, but it's not bad. Really, their their biggest offense is that you know any Naughty Dog game in 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 summation is basically just like square, 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 triangle, 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 triangle. It's like just oh hey, lift me up. I'm gonna get this door. All right, open that door. Oh, shit, it's locked. Okay, open this door. Shit, it's locked. Hey, let's see if we can get a, find another way to get in there. And it's just you just do that for like so many hours. It's like I don't care how interesting the story is. At some point, you're just like, how fucking predictable is it that all I'm gonna do now is try to open this door? It's locked. Find a way inside. It's locked. Move this thing here. Jump on this. Hey, lift me up. Door is jammed. Hold the triangle button so you can pry the door open. It's just it's just so much of that mundane like sh- shit. And I understand it's supposed to be like slow and explorative and everything, but to me, it just gets tiresome and obnoxious so fast. And and the, my bigger problem is that, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything. I know spoilers have been flying around about this game. I'm not that kind of guy. I wouldn't do you like that. But there, you get to the point in this game where you're like 14 hours in, and you're like, oh, man, it must be coming pretty close to the to the end of the game. And then, boom, it, like, it throws this plot twist that's not even, like, compelling or interesting and just basically makes you, I don't know, it just infuriates me. I won't get into too much because it's spoilery. But, like, it just, it's so infuriating and then it sets you back so far and you have to do basically everything you've done before but in a really extra mundane and boring way because it's just less interesting the second time around. So I'm really hoping that the final act really pulls it all together and makes me love the game. And I'm very certain that by the time I roll the credits, I will be a lot more positive about this game than I am negative, but I'm just very disappointed so far in this game from the perspective of like, they just find the way to take this very like mildly above average gameplay and just drag it out so fucking far and make it to the point where it's like, you're just sick of it. You're sick of it by the end of it. And it's really quite a shame because it's visually like the most impressive game ever. The animation is fucking mind blowing. There's so much of it. It's so impressive to watch. It's so realistic to watch. Uh, the cutscenes are amazing. The character interaction is amazing. The writing and the acting is amazing. I think it's such a shame that people are shitting all over this game because of like whatever homophobic bullshit they have, you know, against this game. It's like the like the sexuality of Ellie, the main character, is not at the center of this game. And it's not the reason the character is who she is or any of that. It's like the character is gay and it's a total side point. It's totally unrelated. You don't have to be super fixated on it. I don't, this is, this is such a weird game where this game is kind of the perfect example of how you tastefully handle, you know, sexual and racial and kind of diversity in game where, where, you know, Naughty Dog does a lot of that whole, like they, they're really focused on inclusivity and a kind of, you know, having that diverse opinions and perspectives and kinds of people in the game down to the point where I think it's even more nuanced than just, you know, sexual diversity and racial diversity. I think they take an even more nuanced approach in The Last of Us by even having like a diversity of like body types and diversity of like facial types and a diversity of like you have disabled people and you have people that like look objectively ugly in our main characters, which is really important because as much as progressive as Hollywood pretends to be, Hollywood isn't even remotely progressive because they only push beautiful people on you. And this game's not afraid to like make a quote unquote like unattractive person a main character. And it does a really good job of being diverse in more nuanced ways than just the, you know, the more popularly discussed 
kind of ways of diversity. I think Naughty Dog deserves a lot of applause for doing that. And, and what's more important than the fact that they do that is the fact that they do that tastefully. You, you might remember about five, six months ago, I played Life is Strange 2, and I bitched and moaned about how it's such an out-of-touch, tone-deaf game where they try to do diversity for the sake of diversity. They try to explain, like, the immigrant story and, and you know, the story of, like, the, the plight of, like, the Hispanic American and the racism and the struggles they face. And they just, it falls on deaf ears because they fail so fucking hard at making those characters compelling and that story realistic and believable and making you care about it because the game kind of sucks and the writing sucks. But, like, The Last of Us Part Two is, like, so far in the opposite direction where this game isn't heavy-handed at all. It's like, yeah, Ellie's gay. So what? And they don't make it a big deal. And, you know, you have a good racial diversity in the cast. But it doesn't ever feel like they're just trying to do that Hollywood thing where, like, oh, let's get one black person and one Asian person and one Hispanic person. And the Hispanic person will talk about how they love their home country. And the black person will have, you know, whatever, you know, and they'll just try to do the whole diversity approach. And this game doesn't do that. It's like every character is the character they are and their race or their sexuality and all these things have nothing to do with it. They just are. And it just feels very natural. And it feels like, I don't know. To me, it feels like Naughty Dog has mastered like how you do diversity in gaming. So, and I only bring all that up not to say, you know, like not to push my my political agenda or whatever. Although I don't think this should be a political thing at all. It's a shame that people feel that way. I, I bring this up more so to say the people who are shitting on this game and the people who are review bombing this game. I know I joked at the top of the show, but the the people who are review bombing this game and trying to use, you know, like these fucking scapegoats about like how it's an SJW game and, and they're so fixated on, you know, the diversity and all that. These people couldn't be more wrong. And this is clearly people looking for excuses to hate the game and not actually hating the game. You can tell these people haven't played the game for a single fucking second because if they played the game, they know this game is not offensive to anyone the least bit. It's like, it handles everything so tastefully from, from the, the point of like a narrative and, a story about, you know, different perspectives and inclusivity and diversity. The story is incredible. And I just, I don't think, you know, if The Last of Us Part Two was a movie or a TV show, I don't think I'd have a hard time recommending this to absolutely anyone. It's, it's just that good. I think pretty much with this game solely, the issues lie in the pacing of the game and the gameplay just not being all that interesting to begin with. I think that's really what it's about. And really, the thing, and I'll end on this, because I'm so sorry to make this you know, a podcast about The Last of Us, of a PlayStation game, not even an Xbox game, is I'll end on this note, which is that The Last of Us Part Two reminds me so much of, of a point I made last September when Gears 5 came out that I felt at the time was like a really controversial thing to say, and I was, I was worried a lot of people would give me shit about it, but the more I think about it, the more I like really double down and stand by this point, which is that, I think Gears of War 5, or Gears 5, I know it's not of war, it's Gears 5, does just as good a job as any Naughty Dog game or Sony Santa Monica game or anything of doing this like really important, like really great storytelling and, and cinematic feel with gameplay and kind of making stories front and center and pushing the medium forward. I really think Gears 5 did such a great job of doing this with the exception of the ending, which I think was kind of a scapegoat ending. Um, but for the most part, I thought that game did such a good job and didn't get the credit it deserved for doing it. And I think like even more to this point, like I really doubled down on that now because Gears 5, what it does so elegantly or so flawlessly, I should say, is that it, it does this amazing magic trick where it takes the Gears of War formula, which is now over 10 years old, and 
it brings it into the modern era era and makes it feel like Gears of War while also feeling like something new and modern and fresh, which is in and of itself an amazing feat. It also takes the Gears of War universe and makes the characters infinitely more compelling. It makes the story way more engaging. It makes, you know, it emotionally way more, there's just so, so much more gravity and weight to it, which is amazing, which is all I ever asked for in a game because I really love the idea of video games being a serious medium of storytelling. But then what Gears of War also does is it, it marries the already awesome gameplay with the story so well to the point where it's like, and maybe Gears of War has it a little, little easy because it's a universe where there's literally a war and you play as soldiers with guns. So there's kind of that, that easy excuse for why you're constantly mowing shit down with guns. But the game never toes that line of like the story is getting lame, but the gameplay's fun or the gameplay's starting to, to get stale, but at least the story's good enough to pull you through the end. Gears 5 actually just stays really fantastic on both fronts from start to finish, with the exception of that, that one part at the end where you have to make a decision where I feel like that was a little bit of like a cheap out for the developers to not have to for the for the studio to not have to really make a real ending. But other than that, one caveat, I think Gears 5 does this so flawlessly. And I wish, you know, developers like Naughty Dog and I'll give them the the credit for really spearheading this kind of movement of like amazing storytelling and gaming forward. I really wish they would evolve with this and kind of realize that like when it comes to these Uncharted games and these Last of, Last of Us games, I know their characters and their worlds are amazing and these stories are amazing, but the gameplay is starting to get really fucking stale. And I'm really tired of watching critics just blindly defend the shit out of these games and give 10 out of 10s because you're supposed to love everything Naughty Dog does and everything that's on PlayStation and it's supposed to be a masterpiece and all that shit where it's like, The Last of Us Part Two, like, as I, again, I haven't beaten the game yet. Don't get me wrong, it's a great game. I, if you're going to give it a high 8 or a, a low 9 or a mid 9 or something, that's like, whatever, you can justify it. But going around flaunting this 10 out of 10 everywhere you go, it's like, I don't see how you do that because if you really strip away the amazing narrative and the amazing animation and everything, the game is really kind of mediocre to, to good at best in terms of its gameplay. It's gameplay, again, it's gameplay is not bad. I'm not saying it's a bad game in terms of the way it feels and plays, but it's nothing groundbreaking and it's not addictive. It's not an addictive game loop. If Think about it like this. If you played a, an Uncharted game or a Last of Us game and the story was very mediocre and paint by numbers, you would say that game sucks because the game doesn't back up, isn't, isn't strong enough from a gameplay standpoint to justify a poor narrative if gears of war has a bad story or a mediocre story or whatever story which a lot of you know arguably some of the earlier gears of war games have that although i know a lot of gears diehards would defend that to the death that every gears game has a great story but if if you had a gears of war game with a bad story or a mediocre story or a forgettable story you'd still have a pretty good time with that game because the gameplay is so good because the gameplay is so fun and addicting the loop is so solid and that's that's the difference here is that, again, I'm I'm like I'm right there. I'm first in line when it comes to having the conversation about how we need to make, you know, the narrative and gaming stronger. We need to take gaming more serious as a medium for art and for storytelling. But also, don't forget, at the end of the day, your game is supposed to be fun. And, and I agree, you know, not all games have to be super fun. I get some games get to be like gone home and they get to be like these two hour walking simulator emotional experiences that are really great, despite not being fun quote-unquote fun games but when you're making a game like last of us part two and you demand 20 to 25 hours of my time for this game that's supposed to have gameplay and story it's like i would like for the gameplay to feel compelling 
And that's why I think God of War is a way better PlayStation exclusive, because God of War has far superior gameplay along with a great narrative, just like Last of Us Part Two. So I'll, I'll get off that tirade again. Sorry, I know this is obviously an Xbox podcast, but I'm sure a lot of you are pretty interested, not just because, you know, Last of Us 2 is a super big thing in the news, but because there's always that interest in what, you know, the, the opposite team, the enemy team is up to, right? So, you know, when PlayStation announces a new console, we're going to talk about it. When something as big as The Last of Us 2 comes out and has such a divisive reaction, like it's it's having Star Wars Last Jedi reactions here with like critics praising it and users hating on it, but it's selling like crack. You know, it's you, you got to talk about it. It can't it can't be ignored. So that's where I am with Last of Us Part 2. Um, let me know what you think about it if you're playing it. Let me know if you think I sounded ridiculous, but I, I, uh, I'm glad I got that off my chest. So. Maybe, maybe that's a topic for Outside the Box. Maybe I should have saved it. Maybe Dead Captain James can talk about it on Outside the Box. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But uh, yeah, I also, as a side note, I know that, that demo this week happened for Grounded for Xbox Insiders. I actually really wanted to try that out, but I didn't try to get into it until it was too late. It said like all the, uh, all the participant slots had already been filled and that I couldn't get in on it. And I was a little bummed out about that. But I was also really happy to hear that. It seems like for the people who did get in on this, on this grounded demo, people seemed really into it. People seemed like they were really having a good time and that the game is surprisingly pretty damn good. So that's really surprising and, and nice to hear just because you look at these games like these smaller Xbox first party games and you just expect people to shit on it because it's Xbox. But it's nice to hear people saying that this game's actually really good. But I guess we should expect no no less from Obsidian as they have a phenomenal track record. But I'm definitely excited to play that next month when it gets into early access and even more so now as people seem to be really high on it. So with all that bullshit out of the way, as I've mastered the whole four hour podcast about, you know, doing 45 minutes of recording before I even get into the news, we will now transition from my talks of pizza and PlayStation exclusives and get into proper Xbox news, of which we have some really great stories this week, so I'm excited to get into this. Our first story this week, and this is uh, Get Your Tissue Boxes Ready, this one is a heartbreaker, but <laughs> while many have been expecting this news for a while now, it still comes as a surprise uh, to Relay that Microsoft has announced this week that their Mixer streaming service will be shutting down for good starting next month. The quote from the press release reads, From the beginning, Mixer has been about creating the most engaging and interactive live streaming experience. We set out to help streamers build great communities based on deep engagement with their audiences. You all have been amazing throughout this journey. The Mixer community has set the industry's bar for welcoming and inclusivity, inclus, sorry, and inclusive communities, and you should be proud of what we have accomplished together. Ultimately, the success of partners and streamers on Mixer is dependent on our ability to scale the platform for them as quickly and as broadly as possible. It became clear that when the time... It be, it became clear that the time needed to grow our live streaming community to scale was out of our measure and with a with the vision and experiences that Microsoft and Xbox want to deliver for gamers now. So we've decided to close the operations side of Mixer and help the community transition to a new platform, end quote. So obviously a little intermission here. As for what options streamers and, and uh, Mixer partners have, they're essentially free to go and move to whatever platform now that they prefer. Of course, most will probably move over to Twitch. Microsoft does have a more specific and direct transition available for interested users. Microsoft has teamed up with, unfortunately, Facebook Gaming, of all things, to allow Mixer partners to transition over the, the 
press release continues, beginning today, Facebook Gaming will make it easy for anyone in the Mixer community to join if they choose to do so. We will work to transition the Mixer community over the next few weeks. Starting on July 22nd, all Mixer sites and apps will redirect users to Facebook Gaming. Transitioning the Mixer community is a key part of broadening efforts that Xbox and Facebook Gaming are embarking on now, bringing new experiences and opportunities to Facebook, where every month more than 700 million people play a game watch a gaming video, or interact in a gaming group, end quote. The partnership with Facebook, of course, doesn't stop there as Microsoft plans to bring uh, xCloud integration and technologies over to Facebook gaming. So they wrap this press release up by saying, key to the vision is our project xCloud technology, which we see delivering games to all kinds of screens and windows in your life, including those on Facebook. Gaming is already part of our social fabric, and Project xCloud can take you from discussing a new game, whether it's a funny in-game moment posted by a friend or an ad, a friend and add an ongoing stream directly to playing it. In the future, though, through the power of Xbox Live and Project xCloud, we will see there being just one click between I'm watching and I'm playing. So while there's no real explanation, this is me talking now, while there's no real explanation uh, just yet as to what all the partnership entails, we will certainly hear more in the coming months or so. Clearly, this move shows Microsoft's direct competitive threat to Google with their Stadia platform that has integration with YouTube. Uh, the failure shouldn't come as too much of a surprise, though, to many, considering that Mixer uh, growth has remained stagnant year over year, while competitor services have seen triple growth in recent months. Mixer was also reportedly uh, run on a skeleton crew that never had an appropriate team size or project time to get the updates out the door in a timely fashion. Just like how we had to say goodbye to Groove as it went over to Spotify, or how we had to say goodbye to Windows Phone and soon never had a Microsoft phone until, you know, now the soon-to-be-released uh, Microsoft Android phone, this is the next example in the long history of Microsoft pulling the plug on a beloved product-slash-service that never really took off but always had a die-hard fan base. So... This is a super sad one for me, and I, I mean, I called this. You can go back to just a few weeks ago when those stories were coming out about people at Mixer being really uh, just in low spirits and just kind of really overall not too enthusiastic about the outlook of this of this team and this platform. And so I think the writing's been on the wall. Obviously, last year when they made the big move to get, you know, Ninja and Shroud and all those guys over to the platform. I think that was obviously a last ditch effort saying, hey, could we potentially just buy the big attractions from Twitch, bring them over to our platform and have that just be like a big burst of activity going on Mixer and have that kind of be act as a catalyst to start bringing people over to our service. And it seemed like it was going to work for like about a week there. You know, it seemed like people were really jumping shit from Twitch, from Twitch. If you really read the way people were engaging with Mixer. There was a lot of discourse about like, wow, this service is really great. Why did I never give this a try? Wow, definitely saying goodbye to Twitch from now on. And so for a few days there, it felt super promising. Like Mixer was about to blow up overnight and then Microsoft really, you know, added some, it really made a, a bold move that, that was going to pay off for them. But immediately, you know, within a few weeks of it, we saw, and I remember talking about this on the show, you know, it was just like, wow, go over to Mixer. No one watches anyone's stream. You know, when Shroud or, or Ninja get on, you know, numbers boost a little bit, but not they don't even get the, the amount of viewers they got on Twitch. So it's just really not taken off. And this, this really hurts to, you know, as someone who's been following Mixer since the early days when it was Beam, um, 
Well, I guess I, I really started paying attention right around the time Microsoft bought Beam, so I'm not going to act like I was there from day one, but Mixer was, it's another one of those Microsoft things where, like, anyone who's ever been a fan of Microsoft outside the realm of Xbox knows this, you know, whether it was Windows Phone or Zune or Groove Music or any of this kind of stuff. You always know it's like Microsoft makes great services, great hardware, great platforms, and they're usually ahead of their time, and they're usually they usually have really great features and, and options that you don't find on competitive services or hardware or anything like that. They're always so ahead of the curve with this. And this is the problem is Microsoft always under markets what they have and they're not as aggressive about getting it out there. And they always, they always do these things with like one foot in the door. They get really good talent to build these products and services and maintain them. And they garner, you know, first of all, the really passionate Microsoft fan base, the people who are really enthusiastic about whatever Microsoft's doing. And then they garner, you know, a new fan base along with that. And then that fan base alone keeps the project alive until Microsoft immediately is like, eh, we'll do uh, one more last ditch effort and then pull the plug on it. And so the reason why I say I knew this was coming is because last year when they brought Ninja and all those guys on board with Mixer, I looked at it and it was exactly like when they, when, when Microsoft bought Nokia and was like, Hey, we're going to make Nokia the in-house Microsoft phone developer or, uh, or team. And, and they're going to make all their Lumia phones now Microsoft branded. And then they released those last two windows phones, the, the Microsoft Lumia uh, 950 and 950 XL. And I'm sorry to get so out of the realm of gaming, but we, I saw this, like when, when they released those phones as like a last ditch effort along with like windows phone mobile 10. And it was just one of those things where you, you saw it and you were immediately like, this is it. This is like the last thing. If this doesn't stick, they're jumping. And then like within a year, Windows Phone was basically all but abandoned after like the, the release of that. And then they like just wrote off the acquisition of Nokia. And I don't know, when I, when I saw like Ninja and all these guys come over to Mixer, I was like, that's exactly what they're doing here again. It's another one of those, mix, those Microsoft things where instead of saying, let's, let's invest a serious team to come into Mixer figure out what's going on and figure out how we can turn things around for these guys. They said, let's do like a short burst of money. Let's show, like, let's throw a little bit of money at something big at it. And if that doesn't like act as a miracle and turn the whole thing around, we'll just give up on this project. And that's exactly what they did. They threw some really popular streamers at it. And they said, if these guys single-handedly can't turn mixer around, we'll pull the plug on it. And, and the worst part is, you know, just, just weeks ago or months ago, we heard, you know, the stories of like mixer employees talking about how they're running on skeleton crews and they just don't have the manpower to really, turn these updates turn these updates out in a timely manner and spirits are low and management's kind of being hard on the team and and all this shit is happening and then i'm like this isn't good this is, you can't just throw you know some popular streamers at the service and expect that to solve all your problems you need you need uh, sizable dev teams and, and realistic project timelines and things like that. But they just didn't do that. They did the they did the Windows thing, Windows Phone thing. They did the Groove Music thing again, where they just they just last minute threw some money at it, said this better fix it all. It didn't fix it all, and then they gave up and pulled the plug. So I don't want to get into that too much. It just really sucks as a Windows fan, as a Microsoft fan, to see yet another really awesome, unique project just kind of just canned because of lack of proper attention and care on Microsoft's end. I think. I think it's I think it's lazy that they do this and I think with Mixer this is very lazy where they literally say in the in the press release that like that like Microsoft and Xbox aren't you know capable or whatever of helping Mixer become the platform they want it to be and it's like 
like shit you are. It's like, tell me who is more capable than Microsoft of making something like a streaming service takeoff. Who has more money? Who has more technology? Who has more, you know, talent at their fucking company to make something like a successful streaming service takeoff than Microsoft? You know, at the top of the list, you got like fucking Amazon. Well, they bought Twitch. You've got Google. Well, they have YouTube. You got Facebook. They have Facebook gaming. It's like, who else is up there? It's like Apple and Microsoft. It's like, don't fucking give me that bullshit. That's such a lazy bullshit PR excuse right there. It's like, that, no, that's you saying you didn't try hard enough. And I, I don't know. It's really It really sucks because I'll be honest. You know, I've said on the show before, I'm not a huge streaming fan. I don't watch a lot of Twitch or a lot of Mixer anyway. You know, when I, when I do watch streams, I always try to support Mixer by using it. But, you know, watching people play games, streaming, that's not really my thing to begin with. So... I always like to think that maybe one day if I had a little more free time and if like any platform of mine ever took off, I would do maybe streaming on Mixer or something and we could, I, I wouldn't try to, you know, be like cool Mountain Dew guy, like playing games and trying to show off. I would probably do more of like a casual thing where we just like play casual things and it'd be a way for like me and an audience to interact. And I always just thought, you know, that was the cooler side of game streaming was a platform for like people with like-minded interests, you know, being video games to just be able to chill out and you know have discussions and just kind of shoot shit and hang out like a like a group of friends hanging out and it's really sad that Microsoft's version of that is dying now and that the worst part of all is they're partnering with Facebook now this totally makes sense as as upset and salty as I am about this this totally makes sense because your first instinct might be well they did a very similar thing with like this when uh, when Groove Music died. Groove Music, for those who don't remember, was originally Zune Music. It went through a short phase where it was Xbox Music, uh, but then it eventually died when it was Groove Music, which was basically like Spotify before Spotify was a thing. It's another one of those things where like Microsoft was way too early to the game, and it just didn't take off because the market wasn't ready for it. And then they just never got really any traction. And then Spotify happened years later and took off. And now everyone acts like the only options there have ever been is like Spotify and Apple music, but actually groove slash Xbox music slash zoom music was there way before any of those services were. And it just, it sucks. It's one of those things where Microsoft wasn't aggressive and dedicated to it enough and it failed. And so now we're here with mixer where, you know, I've said this before. Mixer has so many features and little like nuances and like kind of meta options within the chat that that makes it so interesting. Like there's leveling system and all this crap that just makes it so engaging and, and fun for the not only, you know, the streamer, of course, but the viewer. And I think that was so cool that Mixer had all those little bells and whistles. And that's a, it's, a, it's one of those Microsoft touches where like you're never going to see this replicated in something else, maybe years and years down the road. And then people will act like it's new for the service that uses it. And everyone will forget that Mixer ever had it in the first place. And it's just such a shame because this is going to get lost the time like everything Microsoft cancels. So, of course, you know, your first instinct might be, well, if you're going to take the assets, the technology in, in, in the mixer stuff and sell it off, you know, to someone else and try to merge everyone over to a different service, you would think instinctively like, oh, well, it's going to be Twitch because Twitch is the big one, right? Well, not exactly, because when you think about you think about Stadia and I know we laugh about Stadia not being a real competitor to Xbox this is something that Microsoft has to deal with and, and compete with, whether you know it's doing well or not. They have to be agile and take it seriously as a competitor because 
if they don't, what happens when all of a sudden Stadia actually starts doing well for some reason, you know? Then Microsoft's fucking stupid for not having done something when they had the chance. And that's why they had to do something. And Spencer said this himself, you know? He made that statement a few months back where he's like, no offense to Sony and Nintendo, but we're not really competing with them in the console space. We're we're more so competing with, like, the tech giants like Google and Amazon because streaming and Project xCloud. Well, this is exactly what he's talking about. And this is why they're doing this is because... You know, Stadia, it might not be doing well, but Stadia has this really nice advantage where it's like, oh, well, you're on YouTube, you're watching someone live stream on YouTube, which is a Google-owned service, and someone's playing a game, you're like, oh, the game looks cool, I want to play it. Well, you, it's as easy as, like, well, try it on Stadia. Click on the YouTube button, and now you're playing Stadia. And that, those are really good integration features, you know, despite the fact that Stadia kind of sucks. But... Microsoft doesn't have an equivalency like that. They don't have a YouTube. They don't have a massive social media site where they can leverage Project xCloud. And Xbox on its own isn't big enough to, to handle that weight. I mean, Xbox is, of course, everyone knows what Xbox is, but Xbox isn't YouTube. Xbox isn't Facebook. So by partnering with Facebook, this is a really smart way for them to actually kind of compete directly with Stadia and with Google at large, which is that, you know, much in the way that you can go onto YouTube and be like, oh, okay, well, oh, I'm watching someone play Assassin's Creed 27, and it, I love it because I like bad Ubisoft games. And they'll be like, oh, well, I'm going to play this Assassin's Creed game. Boom, and now they're on Stadia. Well, now Xbox has a counter to that where they go, well, now we have Facebook and Instagram where, like, if you're doing Facebook gaming or you're watching someone on Instagram, there's a game thing related, and you're like, oh, I want to check that out. Boom, there's Xbox buttons everywhere saying xCloud, Xbox, X, you know, whatever. And now all of a sudden... Microsoft has a direct competitor to what Google's doing with YouTube and Stadia, but with xCloud and Facebook. And I know it sucks because everyone agrees, you know, Facebook's the absolute fucking worst. I try to never use my Facebook. I fucking hate it. I'm definitely in that camp of, like, if I could completely eradicate Facebook and Google from my life, I would happily do so. There, I try to limit my usage of anything either of those two companies do because I fucking hate them both. But this is one of those things where it's like I, I'm not happy that it's Facebook – but I get why it's Facebook. You know, Amazon, of course, being Amazon is really impressive. You know, their reach is, and everything is really impressive. But th they own Twitch. And Twitch doesn't have something like that. You know, Twitch doesn't have the amount of followers. Because Twitch is a platform where it's just for, like, video game streaming. And it's just a streaming service. And it mostly carries to the gaming community. But Facebook gaming has the advantage of, like, even if it's not everyone's default game streaming service, it is the world's biggest social media site. So whether it's Facebook gaming or Instagram or Facebook proper, there's so many opportunities to get Xbox and project X cloud in people's face faces. And so that's why they go with this. And it totally makes sense to me, but it is just a big loss. It's a really sad thing to see. It's another one of those things where when Microsoft really puts their all into it, something and when you see something take off, it's so exciting. And this is why I love Xbox. This is why I love Surface. This is why I'm even like a little nerdy about something as stupid and mundane and utilitarian as like Windows OS because I just love the kind of quirkiness and creativity and just the growth or the um the kind of just I don't know, the personality of Microsoft products and services. I just really am a huge fan of Microsoft. And this is one of those things where, again, the overall Microsoft umbrella brand just, just waned a little bit, just became a little more diluted because they're doing that modern Satya Nadella era Microsoft thing where rather than Microsoft going on their own and making something, they're partnering with someone else and kind of doing a half and half thing, you know? And I understand they follow the money and this is smart from a business perspective, but from a fan perspective, it's disappointing. It's just like how I'm really excited for that Surface Android phone that's coming out pretty shortly, but 
at the end of the day, it's always going to be a little sad that it's not a Windows phone. You know, it's a, it's a Google operating system with Microsoft ha- hardware and apps. So it's just one of those things. Now, now Mixer's going there, and and we hold on to the things we love from Microsoft and hope that we never see them dilute anymore, particularly Surface and Xbox, which you know, fingers crossed have been doing well over the years and hopefully continue to just do better and better because I don't know, it sucks. This could be Xbox one day. You got to think about it like this. This could be Xbox someday in the future. You know, Xbox is like, oh, well, you know what? Xbox Game Pass is a subscription service that you download on your PlayStation 7 and that's how you play Xbox. Microsoft stopped making consoles. They You just play Xbox games on your computer or your PlayStation or your Nintendo through Game Pass and Project X Cloud. It's like, Maybe that's where we are in the future, but it's sad to think about because it's just another example of like the things we love as Xbox or Microsoft fans just kind of getting diluted just a little bit more. And uh, it's it's sad to see, but rest in peace, Mixer. Uh, let me know what you think about that story at all. It's a crazy story. And, and also, you know, sending out my good wishes to all the Mixer streamers out there who are now kind of streaming homeless now. You know, they got to find new platforms, try to get there audiences to follow them on Facebook or Twitch or YouTube or wherever they decide to go from here. And, you know, all the best to everyone affected by this, who's, you know, a streamer or a partner who now has to basically just change everything about their platform to try and accommodate this new massive change that's happening. So it looks like Shroud and Ninja got off scot-free because what we're seeing now from the reports is that they made like a good chunk of millions of dollars and now are free agents to go basically do whatever the fuck they want. So if they want to go back to Twitch or do something entirely different, they're kind of contractually free to do whatever the fuck they want, which is pretty cool for them. They made out like bandits in this whole thing. So at least there's that silver lining, I guess. But yeah, that's our uh, that's our mixer story. Um, now we will move on to some much more exciting and, and lighthearted and uplifting news, uh, which I didn't even write anything about this. I'm just excited to talk about it. But a new audio clip from the official Halo Twitter account has been released, uh, actually as of today, the day I'm recording this, and it strongly implies the Banished, a rogue group of that broke off from the Covenant, will be in Halo Infinite. So yeah, the, the Halo Twitter page and the Halo Twitter account and the Halo YouTube uh, page just uploaded like this this video, this static video of audio. Uh, audio of this banished um just like you know for those who don't know banished are are brutes which are like the ape looking things you fight in halo 3 uh but they're a faction of the covenant that broke off from the more like religious and uh sect and kind of did their own thing they're the main enemy type you fight in halo wars 2 but anyway the the recording reads basically uh the horror approaches forces occupy the ring Within hours, it will be under our control. Humanity will burn. Their brazen defiance will be all but a memory. No more prophets, no more lies. We stand together, brothers to the end. We are his will. We are his legacy. We are the banished. So this is so fucking exciting just as like a a fan of Halo and Halo lore because there's actually a lot to to divulge here because, okay, first of all, they say the hour approaches, the forces occupy the ring. They're obviously talking about the Halo ring, which is so exciting because at the end of Halo Wars 2, you know, they create that new Halo ring and, and, and travel through slip space and then get stopped by that guardian. So it ties Halo Wars 2 into Halo 5. So we know this this whole universe is tied together now where the events of Halo 5 lead into Halo Wars 2. And now all that's going to play into Halo Infinite. So we're going to get a continuation of that Halo 5 Guardians, Halo Wars 2 story, which is super exciting because I really love the whole like Rogue Cortana, Rogue AI, uh, New Halo Ring, Guardians kind of watching over thing. It's so exciting to see that. And then... Uh, they talk about no more prophets, no more lies. That's, of course, a reference to the Banished because they defy the 
the religious sect of the Covenant. It's called like the the uh, Jewel Madama. So that's like the Halo 2's Covenant with like the prophets and everything. So of course it's a it's a direct reference to kind of the Banished being their own sect and kind of operating independently. And then it says, "We stand together, brothers, to the end. We are His will. We are His legacy." So this is a direct reference, I assume, to Atriox, which is the Banished leader that you fight in Halo Wars 2. So basically saying that the Banished made it to the new Halo ring and that now Chief's going to get there in that Pelican with that with that UNSC pilot that he meets in that trailer from E3 last year. And he's going to get there with the, the Spirit of Fire from Halo Wars 2. And basically it's going to be like this ragtag team of like UNSC fighting the Banished. And I'm fucking excited to see what this is going to happen. They're going to have, uh, what is it, uh, Fire Team Red. And then... And then, yeah, yeah, so this is super exciting because basically what this confirms is Halo Infinite, which we kind of already knew, will take place on a Halo ring, and then you'll fight the Banish, which is going to be like fighting brutes in Halo 3, so if you enjoyed the Halo 3 enemy variety, you're pretty much going to have that, and then there's, of course, the strong rumors that the Flood might be in this game as well, uh, which would be, you know, in relation to the DLC from Halo Wars 2, so if this happens, this really all plays in quite beautifully because the Halo Wars 2 story plays into the Halo 5 story, and of course, Halo Infinite is Halo 6. So it's a continuation of that Halo story. But we also know that Halo Infinite is kind of a spiritual reboot for the franchise just to kind of reel it back into more of like the Bungie era of Halo, which makes so much sense that you take it back to a Halo ring. You take it back to like a, a faction of Covenant because that's what people loved in New Halo 4 back in the old days. So this all ties in so well. And then we might even have the Flood, which is, you know, the thing that people are always begging and bitching about is wanting to fight the Flood, which I don't, don't really know why. I'd rather fight Covenant and, and Prometheans. But regardless, I love all enemy types types in Halo, so I'm just excited for whatever the fuck they do, um, but this all really, like, just gels well and kind of just comes full circle, so it's super fucking excited to see 343 basically come out and just confirm, like, yeah, you're gonna be fighting the Banish, so, and, and what I really love about this is from a narrative perspective, this is a really elegant way to bring the Covenant into the Halo universe, because I, I think Halo 5, you know, I I don't like to shit on it a lot, because I know people are way too hard on that game, but it do, I do have my criticisms of it, and one of them is, yeah, they, there's, the Halo 4 and 5 kind of come up with, like, bullshit arbitrary reasons to to wedge the covenant into those games just because they know halo fans expect to fight the covenant in a halo game um but you know they do that kind of like oh well on the out you know there's like these factions that are still fighting and all that stuff but the banish are a really good excuse to bring the covenant into the halo universe while also narratively justifying it because it's like this certain sect that broke off from the prophets and and you know went and did their own thing and they're and so it's like a whole new enemy type in a way. And that also gives them the free reign at 343 to kind of reinvent the art style and the design and the lore behind these guys because it's not the same covenant you fought in like the old school Halo games. It's a new, it's a new breed. And it's just so cool to know that like we'll get to fight the Banish now, not just from a top down RTS perspective, but from like a first person traditional Halo like guns shooting you know master chief in the face kind of halo way so it's just really really exciting stuff and obviously i guess all this story really confirms that those uh those uh toy leaks were indeed correct that the banish will be in halo so this is all super exciting stuff for halo fans keep in mind we are just weeks away from the july stream where we're going to finally see actual halo infinite like gameplay reveal and a more proper uh, rollout for that game also, keep in mind that they said there would be a Halo Infinite multiplayer beta at some point before the game came out. It's kind of like what they did with Halo 5. If this game is supposed to come out this fall, presumably October, November, that means this multiplayer beta should be happening, I don't know, in like August. So fucking 
we might be playing Halo Infinite in some capacity in the next few months. So I don't know. I'm just really fucking hyped on Halo. I'm always hyped about Halo, but this this got me really really excited. And Halo's like the one franchise where I can like jump up and down like a little like a little uh, like a little child and get super pumped about. So I'm really high on Halo today. Really excited and really hoping that. 343 against all odds pulls this game off and really makes people re-fall in love with Halo and just it would be really really exciting just as a Halo fan as an Xbox fan especially after the Xbox one days of people just constantly shitting on Xbox for the Series X and for Halo Infinite to come out this fall and to just kind of make everyone look like a dumb idiot and like just be like oh fuck I forgot Xbox can be good and I forgot Halo is so awesome and I love this and and to just kind of make everyone re-fall in love with this brand and this game again so I'm really excited for Halo Infinite, if you can't tell, but let's uh, continue to piss our pants in anticipation for that July event. Our next story here, our other big one, this is our last big one before we get into some smaller stories for the week, uh, is that the EA Play Live event took place this past week. It is their kind of E3 alternative they've been doing for a while now, and of course they did it all digital because we are social distancing and whatnot. Um, So EA held their annual EA Play um, event this past week, but of course uh, it was in digital format. During the event, we got updates on existing games, new game announcements, and some not-so-interesting stuff. So First up, we'll kind of break this down um, part by part. I don't want to dwell on this too much just because I feel like, you know, we already know everyone hates EA and a lot of this I felt like was pretty underwhelming. So I don't want to, I don't want to get too in the weeds about it. I don't want to end up being too critical and negative towards EA. I just want to get the news out there, put in some uh, commentary and move on to some more positive stuff. If you want to talk about Halo, we can just keep talking about Halo instead. Uh, just vote now by texting the number H A L O to the to text halo to three four three three five four and uh yeah anyway first up so ea showed off some apex legends updates they did a lot of stuff like the game's coming to switch and all that crap but as far as xbox related news they said uh the game is getting cross-play support sometime later this fall so that's actually really exciting so you'll be able to play with the pc and the playstation guys on the on the apex legends which is actually really awesome Additionally, they announced that the Lost Treasures Limited Edition event will begin this week, uh, but it was announced during the show, so that that should be taking place starting like now, I think. Yeah, this is really exciting. Apex, Apex Legends continues to just dominate and be really big for them. I'm super happy for Respawn and in, in, in EA, I guess, as well. Um, I just want to see Respawn do well. It makes me really sad that this is like, you know, Apex Legends success kind of means like no more Titanfall for now, um, but Apex Legends is a really good game. It's the only... Battle Royale I've ever been able to even remotely give a shit about. I've completely lost touch with what's happening in Apex Legends because I watched that reveal trailer for the Lost Treasure event and everything. I'm like, I don't recognize half these new characters. The game looks so cartoony and fun now. It you know, it looks like it's just gotten so far away from what it was a year ago when it was when it first came out. But happy people are still loving Apex Legends. I'm sure it's still a really fun game. At some point I want to jump back into it and definitely once it gets crossplay support play with some of those those PC nerds maybe get my nephew to finally play a game with me uh, since he can't do anything that's not on his uh, 120 hertz refresh rate PC boy game anyway our second story here from the event is that Haze Lights Joseph Fares uh, announced that um, announced the new game It Takes Two, the studio's next game following Brothers: A Tale of Two Sons and A Way Out. Uh, it's a co-op action adventure platform game that will, as he says, blow your fucking mind. That's his quote, not mine. 
It takes two falls, uh, a child whose parents are divorcing. Uh, to cope, she creates imaginary versions of them who must work together to make it through their story. Uh, the game is scheduled to release in 2021. I'm actually really interested in this game. I thought that premise is super, hard, like, I don't know, super... I, that's the kind of stuff I love. Those, those are kinds of stories I love is like those coming of age stories about kids who just like fucking face the real world and feel hurt and like, es- like escapism. Like that's like, that's like the kind of, um, I don't know. That's like the kind of fuel to like get me invested in the stories. Like make a coming of age story about a kid who's going through some tough shit. It's just, I don't know. I, I love that stuff. So this, this story, this premise has got me super interested. I really love Joseph Fares's kind of approach to games. Um, he's he's very much one of those like I want gameplay to serve narrative I want to marry the two things together um, so I'm, I've never really played any of his games I've always wanted to try Brothers of Tale of Two Sons I know I think Lethal Migraine has said before that it's like his favorite game of all time it's definitely been on my list of like games I've always wanted to check out but just haven't really ever gotten around to A Way Out not so much it just doesn't look like my thing but I heard it was pretty good uh, for those who need a refresher, this is the guy who was like, who said like "fuck the Oscars" at the Game Awards a few years ago. So he's that he's that guy who's a uh, just very uh, very much a character. He was that film director actually. Like this, he li- he's not from Sweden, but he li- he lives in Sweden. But he's a he's actually a film director who turned game developer at one point. So this will actually be his third game, uh, and I'm really excited to see how it goes i'll keep my eyes on this one for sure but yeah it takes two is the name of the game i, I recommend if that's if that premise sounds interesting to you at all definitely check it out uh, there's a trailer you can look into but that was one of the more interesting announcements for me at this event next they showed zoint games the studio behind the game fey that ea original um announced uh, a new game called lost and random the game takes place in the world of random which is a quote dark kingdom where uh, every citizen's future is determined by a roll of a dice uh, and then in 2021, uh, the game will come out following the tale of Evan and her sidekick, Dicey, to play at odds and break the curse. This game I was significantly less interested in, but I don't know, people are pretty seem pretty interested in it just because it has a very like Tim Burton-esque art style. Um, so if you like that kind of dark, twisted, weird, whatever, Burbank, California thing that Tim Burton's always uh, doing, you might be interested at least aesthetically in this game. So check that out I, I wasn't too crazy about it although i did think their last game Faye, looked pretty interesting it's probably a game i'll never get to but always nice to see ea doing their their indie support thing that they do so next they showed off rocket arena a competitive third person 3v3 hero shooter slash battle royale looking thing that's all about using rockets to literally blow up the competition it will be released actually pretty soon on july 14th this is probably by far the game I was the least interested in. It just looks like the next generic Rocket League, Fortnite looking ever Overwatch game. So this is just another one of those games that's like probably just going to come out and get lost in the shuffle and never be heard of again. Not that that's what I'm hoping, but I'd have to try really hard to pretend I care about this game. I just not my thing. I wasn't interested in it, but be sure to look that up if if you're interested in another hero shooter. Uh, but with the twist being, it's all about using rocket launchers predominantly and things like that. So that was announced. I don't know. I just I'm so tired of like the cutesy hero shooter battle royale thing. So I just I see a game like that and my brain just shuts off immediately because it's like. That is this generation's equivalency of like last generation when every game was trying to be like uh, Call of Duty or Battlefield and everything was like a gritty, gray, dark shooter game. Now that's where we are with this generation. Like everything is a bright, colorful, fun hero shooter slash battle royale slash like 
just play this game all the time with your friends and forget the real world because kids want to do floss dancing and uh, and blow shit up with rocket launchers. So no disrespect to you if you're looking forward to it. I just don't personally give a shit or I can't muster the fucks to give. Then EA Motive showed off gameplay of their recently revealed Star Wars Squadrons. The campaign will have players assuming the role of both a New Republic pilot and Imperial fighter pilots as part of the Vanguard and Titan Squadrons, respectively. Uh, Multiplayer will include modes like dogfighting and all-out 5v5 battle uh, and the signature mode fleet battles. Star Wars Squadrons will be released, of course, on October 2nd uh, with full crossplay support. And there, of course, as they like to tout, are no microtransactions, which is something only EA has to brag about because no one else is as guilty as they are for uh, ruining players' time with that kind of shit. I'll, I'll be honest, I know I wasn't too high on this game last week when it got leaked and then revealed. I'm ever so slightly more interested in it just because it, the game just like graphically and art style wise just looks so good. You know, they just really nail the Star Wars look. But EA's done a great job with that with all their Star Wars games. You know, Respawn with Jedi Fallen Order and DICE with the Battlefront games. And EA Motive, of course, did the campaign for Battlefront 2. So that's where they come in with all this. So this is their first Star Wars standalone game. I mean, the game looks good. If you're into that kind of dog fighting space combat stuff, I think this is definitely a game that has a lot to offer. I'm actually a little jealous because it's a, it's going to be available on like PSVR and on PC VR platforms. So you can play the game entirely in VR. And I think that would probably be the ideal way to play this game. So I think this is one of those exam- rare, this is one of those rare cases where it's like, I think Xbox might be the worst place to play this game. I know usually like the most powerful and impressive version of the games on Xbox, but Xbox doesn't have any VR support. So this is probably the last platform I'd want to play this game on. That being said, I don't even have any intent on playing this game, but there was a, a an article that went up shortly after this event a few days later um, where EA CEO uh, Andrew Wilson had an investor call a fireside chat uh, where he kind of discussed some of this stuff in further detail, but he talked about, and I think this is the bigger story here, where he talked about how he and EA are looking to kind of double down on their partnership with Disney in regards to the Star Wars games, the Star Wars contract they have. Um, he says that we're going to double down on that partnership. Uh, Disney continues to be very, very committed to the IP and to the canon. And Wilson also notes that he believes that there's still a strong hunger for Star Wars games and that it is a property worth continuing to pursue. He says, quote, quote uh, we, we've got new generations of fans coming to the IP uh, all the time. Uh, so our expectation is that we we think there continues to be a really, really strong opportunity uh, in and around that relationship and the IP going forward. So I kind of my my quick thoughts on this is this is kind of confirming what I said pretty recently about about EA and the Star Wars IP, which is that they EA looks at Star Wars with big dollar signs in their eyeballs like a cartoon and they see it exactly the way they look at the NFL license, which is how can we continue to lock this property down to be exclusive to us? So, I mean, first things first, like this kind of potentially points to the to the EA Disney relationship with Star Wars being an indefinite thing. So originally we know it was signed in like 2013 or a little earlier where it was like a 10 year contract where EA had the exclusive rights to the Star Wars IP for video games with like rare exception, like the Lego Star Wars games. But now it looks like this might just be a more indefinite thing, kind of like the NFL contract with EA where 
EA just kind of gets to keep re-upping the contracts over and over again and pouring money into Disney's pockets. And I think that's what they're going to continue to do. Um, so this is their way of basically saying, hey, we see Star Wars as a super lucrative thing. People keep buying Star Wars. It's a thing that doesn't go away in terms of popularity. I don't know how he says that in a world where people are super jaded and pissed off and tired about Star Wars right now. But I guess it also makes sense because as much as Star Wars fans want to say they're jaded and tired of Star Wars... Rise of Skywalker still did great at the box office. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order still did great. You know, it's still one of the best-selling games of 2019, despite coming out at the tail end of the year. And, you know, that Mandalorian show on Disney Plus is the most obnoxious bullshit ever, where everyone's got a little Baby Yoda sticker on the back of their car. And so it's like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, from a business perspective, how could you blame EA for wanting to do this when it's like the shit continues to make money for them? So, you know, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. EA is kind of the perfect in the most like uh, in the least serving way to the fans. EA is kind of the perfect publisher to have the sole rights to the Star Wars franchise, right? Because they kind of treat Star Wars the same way Disney's been treating Star Wars, where they're just like, let's just milk the shit out of this franchise and just make everyone super jaded and exhausted of it to the point where it's like, we'll just keep doing it as long as they keep spending money on it. Because that's really what Disney's done with Star Wars, which I hate to say because I'm a huge Disney fan, but I think they've kind of mistreated the property a little a little bit by just over-milking the hell out of it. And it looks like they, uh, they, see, they see a little bit of themselves in EA games because it looks like they're going to continue to let EA have the sole uh, rights to this IP for video games and EA has a similar um, motive here and no pun intended not um, to kind of milk the hell out of this property so a little disheartening but also I guess not that much because you know Battlefront 2 got turned around people really liked it uh, Jedi Fallen Order was a pretty great game and the Star Wars Squadrons game while I don't give a shit about it and probably won't be playing it at any point ever does look pretty solid it looks like if you're into this kind of game you'll be pretty pleased with it so we'll see when the reviews pour in i'm sure people will hate on it just because it's ea but it, it does look pretty solid in all in all defense but next up we got a little sizzle reel where they showed uh fifa 21 and madden 21 trailers and so we have another kind of story pertaining to this from that investor call where where we learned that fifa 21 will be released on october 9th this year um, but no real release date has been given for a series x version of the game but we do know that there will be a series x version ea did announce a similar cross-generational release offer uh, to what they are doing for Madden 21. So you'll remember at the Xbox May event, they did that whole Madden thing where they said, we're not doing smart delivery, but we got something similar to it we're doing. Well, they're doing the same thing for FIFA 21. So just for clarification, what that is, rather than putting or rather than participating in Microsoft's smart delivery system that allows owners of Xbox One games to automatically get Xbox Series X enhancements when they play their Xbox One owned games on their Series X, EA's dual entitlement system works a bit differently. So EA dual entitlement actually works for both Xbox and PlayStation and allows owners of current generation games to upgrade to next generation versions at no additional cost. The only catch is that is that if uh, the current generation game is physically owned on PS4 or PS4 disc, the user cannot upgrade to the PS5 unless they have a PS5 with a disc drive, which assumes that you'll have to put the PS4 disc in your PS5. Xbox One physical discs will, ha uh, will be able to upgrade digitally, though, to the Xbox Series X, so you won't have to have a physical Xbox One disc, or, or you won't 
you won't have to put a physical Xbox One disc in your Xbox Series X to do this because, of course, you know, the feature, and this is, of course, because, you know, the future is here and it's and it, and it bleeds green, you bitches. Um, so when the system was first teased uh, for Madden 21 back a, a few weeks ago, many were under the impression that the dual entitlement offering or system would only be offered for a limited time from the from the date of the game purchase, but nothing from this newly released information has suggested that that will still be the case or, or anything otherwise. So it seems like it might be an indefinite offer where if you buy the game, you can at any point upgrade it. Uh, although I can't imagine that's the case. I'm sure there is a time limit on this. I, we just don't know what, if at all. The other big thing here is that this is a, this is a, a, a good move for, you know, it, it seems like this is a pretty good consumer friendly move. Uh, and unless I'm reading this wrong, I'm, I'm guessing that if you are like a PS4 owner and next generation, you buy a series X instead of a PS5, you can upgrade to this series X version, even though you only own the PS4 version. I'm not sure how that would work, but it seems like they're suggesting something Something similar like that I could be totally wrong and this could just be like Xbox upgrades to Xbox PlayStation upgrades to PlayStation that's it but it seems like it's also a lot more flexible with the Xbox where like it doesn't matter if it's physical or digital on your Xbox one you can just upgrade to the Xbox Series X version digitally whereas with the PS5 you need to have like the disc plugged into your PS5 and you have to have the PS5 of course with the disc drive to do that so it seems like there's still some like technical details we don't quite understand yet about this, but we'll we'll of course learn more in the coming months. This is one of those kind of annoying things because it's like, yeah, well, at least you'll technically be able to get these games on your Xbox through smart delivery. It sounds like it's gonna be a little more roundabout and, and more of a headache. It sounds like it's gonna be something like I don't know, I just hope this isn't something like where you're like surrendering your Xbox One license to get it on your Series X or something like that. I hope it's kind of like smart delivery where it's as easy as like uh, if you have it on one you have it on both and you can switch between them seamlessly but we'll have to wait and see and learn more about this but there is some kind of cross-generational support for this uh for these titles so rest assured you can buy them in august or september or whatever and then get your series x versions in the coming months so there you go next during the ea play event ea teased the upcoming dragon age game battlefield need for speed and ea motive projects for next generation the same way they teased mass effect andromeda a few years back which is to say they showed some concept art and developers vaguely talking about much of nothing uh, so this is where the show basically just like devolved into like nonsense i don't know why ea is so big on doing this they did this with jedi fallen order 2 a few years ago they really like this thing where they kind of vaguely prematurely announce things and just talk about them and, and and get nothing done this dragon age game is starting to be a little concerning because the rumors of this next dragon age game from 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 bioware have been going around for like almost like for five years plus now is that has it been that long i, th I feel like it's been at least four or five years now so it's like the fact that we haven't really heard or seen anything about this Dragon Age game is kind of concerning, but also I know they kind of announced the game before they even really started working on it, so maybe that's the issue here, but I don't know. I'm just I'm just like why are we why are we still talking about Dragon Age and not showing it? The last one was Dragon Age Inquisition, which was 2014. It's like it's been 6 years like come on, either show a new Dragon Age game or shut up until you're ready to show something, but Battlefield, we know DICE's next big game is the next Battlefield, presumably Battlefield 6. We saw some renderings of, like, army men or something. It just, I, I don't know, it's not a game reveal. It's just them talking about nothing. They mentioned something about Need for Speed and EA Motive's next project, which is already weird because we already know EA Motive is still working on getting Star Wars Squadrons out the door. So they're kind of in the thick of a new project and they're already announcing their next game. 
Uh, but whatever, we will see more on all of that in the coming years because EA likes to really prematurely announce shit these days. So there's a look at stuff you won't see for years to come. And then finally, they rounded out the show uh, by announcing something that after many years of loud fan demand, they are finally working on a new entry in the long dormant skate franchise. Uh, the game was announced to be super early in development, so don't expect anything new for a few years. Um, before I really continue to dive into that, I almost feel like what happened here, since EA likes to announce shit before they should ever announce it, that what happened was like they saw the announcement of that Tony Hawk game a few a few weeks ago, that, that new one from Activision. They saw how the internet was like lit on fire with everyone being super pumped about Tony Hawk coming back. And then they were just like, ah, fuck it. We'll just bring Skate back. It sounds like it sounds like that's enough of a positive reinforcement f- to let us know that Skate would also be a welcome comeback, despite the fact that people have been begging for it for years. Or maybe it's just a coincidental thing, like when Guitar Hero and Rock Band both came back at the same time. But yeah, it's like they definitely announced this way prematurely. They didn't have anything to show for it. And they're basically like, hey, it's super early in development. And we don't even know what the game is. That's basically what they said. Um, but in the days following the EA Play event, uh, again, during that investor call, uh, EA CEO Andrew Wilson was speaking with investors and answered some questions regarding the new skate game. He says, uh, basically, while noting that the game has officially been revealed, he, he goes, so far, many people you think about skating. So for many people, you think about skating as a, a starting point that may have appeal, uh, but you start to think about the built-in user-generated content exploration and community on top of that, which expands the opportunities exponentially. Um, this quote, you know, I, I think is really vague and out of context, um, but I wasn't able to find all the information around it. But it basically, this quote has led some to speculate that a skate might be heavily reliant on user-made content as opposed to like being a full game with missions and campaign content. I don't really believe that's what's happening here. I think there may be an emphasis on user-created content, but I think I think people are misreading this quote because I think what Andrew Wilson's getting at is he's saying like skating is a lot more about like the sport and, and a lot more about like the culture around it and kind of the community around it. And so I think what he was saying is that like this game might try to capture aspects of, you know, the exploration and that community and that user-generated content that comes as a result of skating. You know, how skating's more than just, like, dudes in semi-tight pants trying to do ollies and kickflips. It's also about, like, the fashion and the skate videos and the music and kind of, like, finding new places to skate and creating new shit. And I think what you're saying is, like, the game might try to have some, like, games as a service or open-ended online features that allow people to, like, kind of create and share content and so they're saying that it might try to capture that skate culture and put it into a game rather than just making another game about skateboarding which i think is pretty cool but a lot of people are are speculating including ign that this is this means like the game might be super heavily reliant on user-made content i don't think i don't think andrew wilson is saying that they're making you know the skating equivalent of super mario maker i don't i don't think that's what he meant um, although who knows, they might be. Uh, I just think he was saying there's going to be a large emphasis on trying to bring, trying to incorporate the personality and the skating culture within this game, whether that means like user created aspects, but also while, you know, bringing back the traditional skate franchise. But that's all conjecture, so we'll have to wait and see on that. I know people are super excited that skate's coming back, although the, the, this this whole presentation was mostly just lauded and laughed at, so I, don't, I get it. People hate people hate EA, but that was the EA Play event, so uh, 
we can kind of ignore that studio for uh, about another year if, if, if that's what you'd like. I don't I don't really hate EA as much as other people do. As I was telling Lethal Migraine a few weeks ago in the comments, it's it's one of those things where you know they're they're not ashamed them in Activision as well. They're not ashamed to be a big company. They're here to make money. They they make what sells. They're not really concerned about bending over backwards to cater to the loud minority uh, game community when they know that their their money is made from the the quiet majority of gamers who just buy Madden all the time and buy FIFA all the time and happily give EA millions and millions of dollars every year. So it's just one of those things. But um, with that said, we will move into our next story here, which is a little bit of a, some more bad news. Not not as bad as Mixer shutting down, but CD Projekt Red have announced that Cyberpunk 2077 has once again been delayed. This time from its September 17th date to a new November 19th date, much closer to the launch of the Xbox Series X. In a letter from for, uh, sorry, in a letter from CD Projekt Red co-founder uh, Marcin Iwinski, uh, the head of studio, and Adam Badowski, he said, "quote We have decided to move the launch of Cyberpunk 2077 from September 17th to November 19th. Those of you who are familiar with." the way that we make games know that we won't ship something that is not ready ready when it's done it's not just a phrase we say because it sounds right it's something we live by even when we know we'll take the heat for it at the same time we are fully aware that making such a decision costs us your trust and trading trust for additional time is one of the hardest decisions a game developer can make and despite we think it's the right decision for the game we'd still like to apologize for making you wait longer our intention is to make cyberpunk 2077 something that you will stay uh, something that will stay with you for years to come in the end we hope you understand why we did what we did at the time we were writing these words, Cyberpunk 2077 is finished both content and gameplay-wise. The quests, cutscenes, and skilled items, skills items, skill items, all of the adventures Night City has to offer, it's all there. But with such an abundance of content and complex systems interweaving with each other, we need properly to go through everything. Balancing the game mechanics, fixing a lot of the bugs, a huge world means a huge number of things to iron out, and we will spend the additional time doing exactly that. This week, journalists from all over the world are starting are starting to independently play the game. We are eager and quite stressed to hear their opinions as well as see your reactions when they publish their previews right after the Night City Wire event on the 25th of June. We hope that we will satisfy uh, some of your... We hope that this will satisfy some of your hunger for the game as we work to polish it for the November launch. Thank you. So I really, really love this, uh, this letter. I think... I love how transparent and just direct they are with their audience. And I think gamers will love it too because this is what we've seen the gaming community time and time again do is they just really love transparency more so than a lot of other communities where they really respect and eat that shit up. So well, let's finish up the story and then we'll jump into it. But CD Projekt Red is still uh, set to hold their Night City Wire live event on June 25th. So by the time you're hearing this, the event's already taking place. The event will preview the game in greater detail. And despite launching close to the release of the next-gen consoles, CD Projekt Red has confirmed that while next-gen versions of the game are coming to both new consoles, they won't be arriving until 2021. Kaczynski continues. He says, At this point, we're going to have a more robust update for the next-gens, which we're planning to give free of charge to anybody who purchases PS4 or Xbox One versions. But if, but in any case, you will be able to play the game on the next-gen consoles from the 19th of November when the game releases, and it will look better than that of the next-gen games. It will look better than that of next-gen games for that moment. So, first of all, a lot of people are probably reading to that saying, "Okay, so the next-gen consoles will both be out by November 19th." Probably, 
but I don't think that's what he was trying to say there. But uh, just as a side note. But then, of course, uh, Xbox Series X players will be given access to the next-gen version of the game through the smart delivery system, which was further detailed last week, as we learned. So, yeah, all of this, again, I think they did a great job just being transparent. I personally don't give a shit how much they delay Cyberpunk. It's a game that I'm surprised how excited I am for it. Usually I'm not that crazy about, like, the big open world games that people are shitting their pants over. This is a rare example where I am. I really love the Cyberpunk aesthetic, and I think CD Projekt Red has nailed it more so than most other games that have done Cyberpunk have, have done it. I'm like, I always wanted to like Witcher, but I just don't like medieval fantasy and shit like that. Or just like old Europe. I just, it's just not a thing that interests me. Um, but cyberpunk is like, you know, it's like Rockstar's GTA and Red Dead. Um, Bethesda Game Studios has uh, Fallout and Elder Scrolls. You know, CD Projekt Red has a similar one-two thing right now where they've got Witcher and cyberpunk. And cyberpunk is definitely their open world game that really caters and speaks to me and i'm super excited to jump in and play it but at the same time like this is a game i'm in no rush to get my hands on where it's like you know when it comes out i'll buy day one and i'm excited to try it but at the same t- at the same time day one can be tomorrow it can be in three months it can be in a year i don't really give a shit take their time i i love this kind of approach where they're just like hey we know we're gonna hurt some of your trust we know people are gonna give a shit and be upset about this but like we just refuse to release a game that's anything less than polished and ready to go from our standards and our perspective. And I love how he even outlines. He's like, everything's done. The game's there. It's complete. The cutscenes are there. Everything. But we're just not happy with the level of polish. I think that's that speaks so much to how how confident they are in their vision and what it takes to make this game what it needs to be and and you know how much they believe in their vision that they're that they're saying you know we're not day one patching this shit we're not releasing it fixing it over time we're waiting until it's something we would be proud to share with our audience and then we're giving it to you so you're gonna have to wait a little longer i know this game keeps getting delayed but i, I for one am like 100 percent like cd project red you made a good argument i'm in no rush there are plenty of great games coming out this year there's plenty of shit happening in the game sphere this year you take your time and i'll play this if anything i think cyberpunk would would do better from like a longer delay i think it would be great if they just delayed till next summer and just launched it simultaneously on previous generation hardware and next gen hardware because i would like to just skip this on my xbox one altogether and just play it on series x next year once the initial launch hype has died down and halo and all that stuff has kind of simmered down if anything the only downside this really provides is that now november is going to be super crowded with all the next gen stuff and then with cyberpunk coming out so it does it does pose that kind of issue but i think cyberpunk's one of those things where it's like so highly anticipated and so people are so looking forward to it that it doesn't matter what hardware it's on people are going to play this no matter what it's going to sell great no matter what so the good news is you'll be able to play on your PS5 and Series X, and you'll be getting smart delivery and upgraded versions in the coming months slash year. So all good stuff, and by the time this shows up, we'll have seen that Night City uh, Wire live event, so we'll have seen an extensive look uh, and update on the game. So look forward to that. Our next story here, our little wrap-up stories, we're almost done here, but... This is a, an interesting one. Earlier this week, Activision finally announced after some uh, leaks and, and rumors that Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, a brand new proper sequel to 1998's Crash 3 Bandicoot, 
Crash Bandicoot 3 Warped uh, has has been properly revealed and is coming out this year. The game is being developed by Toys for Bob, the team that uh, supported Vicarious Visions with the Crash Insane trilogy that came out a few years ago. And they also took on Spyro Reignited trilogy that came out a few years ago as well. Uh, they're also probably most notably known for the creation of the very popular, now dormant Skylanders franchise, which of course sparked the Disney Infinity franchise, rest in peace. But yeah, this uh, Crash 4 will be out on Xbox One on October 2nd uh, for 60 bucks. So it'll be competing with that Star Wars Squadrons, but this is something I'm more inclined to play personally. Yeah, this is awesome. I love how I love how they kind of just shit on the Universal Vivendi Crash games from the early 2000s um, that weren't made by Naughty Dog by just calling this one Crash 4 as if there was nothing after Crash 3, even though those PS2 Universal ones came out. So that's kind of funny. But yeah, I mean, if you've seen the trailer, this looks a lot more like uh, an evolution of classic Crash Bandicoot rather than the kind of universal crash games that came out in the early 2000s on PS2 that were a little more like liberal with the formula of the crash games, a little more traditional platformer. So this is cool. It's exciting. I think uh, a lot of people are pretty excited to see this coming. I don't think it's surprising at all. I think obviously the release of the crash insane trilogy and the spiral reignited trilogy was obviously a testing ground to see if people were just talking about their nostalgia for these franchises or if they were genuinely interested in bringing them back. And I think the sales of those trilogies proves that, yeah, people want this shit back. So with that said, I fully expect in, in a few years, we'll also see a Spyro four or a new Spyro game much in the way we're seeing a new crash game. So that's the one I'm more excited for. I'm definitely more of a Spyro fan. Definitely love that old insomniac shit more than that old naughty dog shit. But either way, I'm excited for all this stuff. I'm looking to play this game. I think it looks pretty good. You can check out the trailer. There's new characters you get to play as, but it very much looks like classic crash bandicoot gameplay, but updated for a modern era. So this is, this is exciting stuff. I love seeing this old kind of character platformer mascot platformer stuff come back. It's a, it's a stuff that I'm really nostalgic for that. I really enjoyed as a child. So I, I'm glad that the games industry is, is, is diverse enough now to where we can have like the character platformers other than just Mario. And we can have the nitty gritty last of us games and we can have the halos and we can just have so much, you know, diversity in, in game types, everything from the lighthearted to the serious to the platformer, to the shooter, to the, you know, battle royale. So it's really cool to just see this kind of all meld and be able to coexist today rather than these specific eras where like only these types of games are being made. Only these types of games are being made. I understand like right now, you know, like the shared world shooters and the light MMOs and the hero shooters and the battle royales are kind of the thing that define this generation in particular, along with, you know, making everything open world. But it's also really cool to see that this generation has been, you know, indies have seen so much success and, and, and the kind of revivals of so many classic franchises have seen so much success that it just feels like, especially towards the end of this generation, that basically any genre, any kind of game is possible these days and that there's just an audience for a little of everything. And I, I love that. Um, but that's going to that. Now we're just going to wrap up with our final story here, which is that WB owned Rocksteady. Speaking of WB, uh, the team behind the popular Batman Arkham games is reportedly working on a Suicide Squad game, as mentioned in some new domain name registrations. According to Eurogamer, the London studio has been working on the project for years and the Suicide Squad kills the Justice League domain is potentially the game's full title, as well as a summation of its content. Eurogamer also says that the domain was registered by WB Interactive, the Gotham Knight Knight does refer to WB Montreal's long-rumored Batman Court of the Owls game, which we pretty much know is a thing, and that both games will be shown in some respects at the DC Fandom event, which is 
taking place on August 22nd. So maybe we'll see the games there. Yeah, I don't want to get too much into this one just because this is not like my forte's getting into like the Batman games and all that, sh- that shit. I mean, it's about time we see what Rockstay is working on. The rumor after that last Batman Arkham Knight game, the rumor was that they were moving away from the superhero stuff. They were moving away from Batman and they were going to make something totally different. And they made that Batman Arkham VR game for, I think, PSVR. But that was the last thing they made. So it's been a while and they're long overdue for an announcement on what they've been working on. So it doesn't surprise me that they're ready to announce something sooner rather than later. But what does surprise me is that it's still going to be DC. It's still going to be, you know, in this realm. So Suicide Squad, I'm sure, you know, if anyone can make Suicide Squad not lame, it's going to be these guys. I didn't see Birds of Prey. I heard it was pretty good, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really personally care about anything DC. So I'm just excited that, you know, maybe people will be able to have a cool Suicide Squad game. I have full faith that Rocksteady will do good by it just because Rocksteady has a great great track record. But yeah, I mean, this is one of those things where it's like, because of how poorly kept the secret of the WB Montreal game with uh, Batman Court of the Owls has been, and how we, like, they even teased the fucking game but still haven't properly announced it, which is just mind-blowing that they teased it, like, months ago and haven't announced it. It's just like, okay, well, then this is probably also true. This Because WB is, like, doing some crazy shit right now with their announcements. I, I assume this is all because COVID has affected it, that they were going to announce some shit at E3. Yeah, I mean, considering how poorly kept the Batman Core of the Owl secret was, I'm sure that this is just as likely to be real and that we will probably see these both at the DC fan Fandome event. Um, which which makes sense. It's like if you know they're not going to do their own E3 event, and now they're not going to be on stage with like a Sony or a Microsoft. So they got to find some event to fit this in at. So why not something like this? So hopefully we'll hear about these games soon. But and if you're looking forward to it, good for you. But that's going to do it for all of our big news stories of the week. Now we will just jump into our important enough news stories, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion, of which we have a a couple of these to to just kind of rattle off. We've got Marvel's Avengers getting a free upgrade on PS5. Anyone who buys the game on PS4 will get the enhanced version of the PS5 game at no additional cost. But what does this mean for Xbox, as this is an Xbox podcast? Well, it will also support the free upgrade on Xbox Series X for Xbox One owners, but through using the the easy and intuitive smart delivery feature. Next, we got that IGN reports Earth Defense Force 6 has officially been revealed by series uh, publisher D3, which uh, with the game expected to launch in 2021. Alongside that, voxel-based spinoff Earth Defense Force World Brothers is also on the way. The 2021 date is is a suggestion that Earth Defense Force 6 will land on next-gen consoles, which which will, of course, launch this holiday season, but no official platform for the game has been announced just yet. So that's like a, a asterisk if that one's relevant because Earth Defense Force has been on Xbox before, but it's not usually. It's usually pretty heavily associated with the PlayStation uh, ecosystem. So it may be on Xbox. It may not be. I, I hope it is. It really should be. At this point, you might you know you think you just want to get your game out on everything, especially if it's not too hard to make Xbox and PlayStation SKUs, considering. The architecture isn't that, you know, different, but whatever. Next, we've got that Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2, the sequel to 2018's Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, Kickstarter 8-bit spinoff bonus game, will be, quote, coming soon to Xbox One and PC. So look forward to that. Next, we've got Undead Labs announced that State of Decay 2 is getting a crossover promotion with fellow Xbox Game Studios title Sea of Thieves. So look into that for more details. And then lastly, we've learned that today uh, Xbox Game Pass 
Twitter account, has revealed that the following titles will be joining the service soon. First, we got The Messenger, which is really exciting. I want to play that. Streets of Rogue, Night Call, and Observation, which will be coming to both console and PC, whereas the other ones are just coming to console. I'm really excited to play The Messenger. That's a game I've been I've had on my list for a while, so I'll definitely check that out. I haven't really heard much about the other titles, but hopefully something to look forward to. Now, of course, we will jump into our our fan favorite segment where we talk about the new game releases on xbox for the week but only by talking about the title of the game and the picture associated with it not by reading the the explanation or seeing what the game's actually about so this week we got 10 new games to go through so let's just jump right in our first one here is called spongebob squarepants battle for bikini bottom rehydrated releasing on june 23rd so the game's already out now and so I, I know what I'm not going to pretend like I don't know what SpongeBob is. Everyone knows what SpongeBob is. It's that Disney cartoon about about the sponge with the growing nose and everything. But what I don't understand is this is not the SpongeBob I remember because this SpongeBob is wearing a Viking helmet and he's floating. And so I understand like okay, you're a sponge or you're a sea creature, so you can probably jump and float in the water. That's no that that makes sense. But I don't know if you've ever seen a fucking sponge before. But this is this is my hang up on SpongeBob. It's like. Listen, go go fill your sink up with water right now. Plug it and take like the sponge you use to wash your dishes. Riddle me, riddle me this, as Mr. David White might say. So you, you got the sponge and whether it has no water or it's full of water, that sponge is not going to float in the water like SpongeBob is doing here. It's either going to, it's just going to float at the top, whether it's whether it's full of liquid or not. Sponges float. They don't sink. So my thing is like, how the fuck is SpongeBob floating in the water or standing on the ocean floor when he's a sponge? Shouldn't he be floating to the surface? And so I think to myself, holy shit, SpongeBob isn't just any sponge. He's like a spiritual sponge. So maybe SpongeBob is a whole allegory for like, you know, like a like the holy cleansing, how sponge is, is a is a tool used for cleaning and and Bikini Bottom is a place we know that's full of greed, see Mr. Krabs, um, uh, Vanity, see Squidward, um, and Gluttony, see Patrick, and maybe SpongeBob as a character acts as a cleansing utensil or someone who represents purity and cleanliness, and he's here to absolve Bikini Bottom of its sins and its transgressions and its, you know, its, 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 uh, its dirt, its filth, its grime, if you will. And so I don't know, I, I don't know anything about this game i don't know if it's going to be good but that concept alone got me really interested or re rehydrated if you will about the spongebob squarepants uh universe because i just really love the idea of that kind of religious subtext that exists in this children's cartoon and i just never expected disney to kind of have that nuance to one of their cartoons so definitely check that game out um that's that's just a pretty cool realization i had but our next game here is called Assetto Corso uh, Competizione, which I think is Italian for not as good as Forza. So don't play this game. It's, it looks like a stupid racing game. This guy doesn't know how to race for shit because he's tailing the guy in front of him. And everyone knows if you want to win at a race, you don't go behind the guy in front of you. You go in front of them. So this is a, a dumb racing game for dumb people. Uh, I think the name is Italian. So the Italians are dumb and this game is dumb. But you can go ahead and play that if you like losing, if you like racing games where it's about losing. Our next game here is called A Summer with Shiba Inu, which is fucking adorable. It looks like a game where you play as this little this little Japanese dog, and he wears a little leather jacket. He looks like a street punk dog, which is so fucking cute. And he's basically on the streets of Tokyo, and all the all the NPCs around him are just dogs. So clearly, this is a nice storybook game uh, where you know children learn about street dogs. Uh, I assume the reason why he's wearing a coat is because. 
you know, even though these dogs don't have homes, they don't have places to go, they do have clothing to keep them warm, which just reminds me that, you know, there are a lot of great organizations you can be donating to. There's a lot of great uh, funds out there to help, you know, no kill, like, you know, stop, you know, support animals, bring them to no kill shelters and, and kind of find good homes for these animals. But if you don't have it, in your in if you don't have the room or the ability in your life to bring a, an animal into your home i think this game offers an important message that you know not every it's not realistic to assume that every human can adopt a dog a stray dog or a stray cat and bring it into their home and, and give it a home and give it a family but it is a really realistic expectation that we can clothe every dog so you know one thing i think we got to accept because it's just a fact of life is that there are going to be stray dogs that's just a thing you know you're going to walk around sometimes and see dogs that unfortunately don't have homes to go to but why can't that stray dog have a nice leather jacket to keep it warm and at the very least keep it stylish you know so this is a really cool game that kind of um raises awareness to the the trials of animals and the fact that they too get cold you know underneath all that fur they're just shivering, cold, lonely mammals, just like we are. So I really love this game. I really love this message. It, it supports something that goes unheard of quite often, which is that, you know, not everyone needs a place to call home, but we all need clothes to keep us warm, you know, and sheltered. So definitely find a way to donate to your local uh, animal shelter and, and provide some coats to dogs or something like that. Our next game here is called Octonaut. This is a game that's out today. It is... A game where it's in a 2D environment. It looks like Kid Icarus, but the Kid Icarus sprite has been replaced with a cartoon octopus. So this is like some Japanese tentacle porn shit uh, spiritual successor to Kid Icarus. I'd much rather just have a new Kid Icarus game, but I guess if you're a pervert, you might enjoy this version of the game better. We've got Nightcall as our next game. This game looks really stupid because it just shows a guy's face in the rearview mirror of a car. I'm all for like pushing the boundaries of gaming and everything, but like if you expect, like I understand the right the right analog stick controls the camera, but you're taking it a step too far if the right analog stick controls the rearview mirror cam like camera perspective of a car. It's like, oh, come on. So I'm supposed to play this game now using the, only the camera perspective of the rearview mirror. So it's like, okay, well, what about when your character's not in the car? Did you think about that? You can't always control, you know, you're not going to see where your character's going unless he's in the car. So you got to play the whole game from the car to see your character or like, it's just such short sighted thinking. And I'm so tired of indie developers thinking that, you know, they're pushing boundaries and they're being creative and innovative with this shit where it's like, you're not being cute. No one's buying this, like fucking give it up. I'm not going to play a game where the only camera you can control is the rear view mirror of a car, especially a game where you presumably have to get out on foot from time to time. That's going to be a fucking pain in the ass to play. I mean, but whatever. If you're if you're into that kind of indie darling shit, you can go ahead and play that. Our next game here is called Control the Foundation. It's a DLC. It's not a full game, but it is out June 25th. This game, I really don't understand what it's about. There's a woman. She's floating. Um, so I assume it's like a Captain Marvel spinoff game, but she's also using like telekinesis powers to make a man fly in the air. I don't know that this this control is is malicious, you know, at all. For all we know, this is a guy who's always wanted to fly, and she's just helping him achieve his dream. So this could quite possibly be a game about helping people achieve their dreams of wanting to fly and explore uh, explore whatever this toxic dome waste play, plant is. Um, but that game looks stupid. And our next game here is called Tower of Time. Uh, speaking of time, we're running out of it, so we will skip this game because it looks like some Japanese turn-based RPG game straight from the PlayStation 1. The textures quite literally look like a PlayStation 1 game, so 
if that was intentional, you're not being cute. No one likes it. Our next game here is called Yes, Your Grace. So there's a king. There are some peasants. These peasants have an inventory. And within that inventory, there's weaponry. There are masks. And there is money. And I think what this game basically is doing is the whole social commentary on, you know, COVID and social distancing saying that, you know, there's money to be made for those who go out and entertain, but there's also death to be had for those who risk going out for entertainment. Cause you got, you've got the money, you've got the entertainment logo and you've got the sword. So it's this whole kind of, this whole kind of cycle of how, you know, people go out to spend money, to support businesses, to, to be entertained, but they risk getting COVID and getting killed by swords because we all know that's how COVID attacks is, first you get you get covid and then the next day you get stabbed by a sword and that's pretty much how it goes for most people so definitely uh, a little bit of an insensitive game to be releasing at a time like now and i don't really understand what this like medieval europe this medieval england looking setting has to do with it all but there you go if you're looking for a game to remind you of the atrocity of the of the horror of the pandemic we're facing every day that's a that's a game you can play then we got dungeons 3 complete edition which just looks like warcraft 3 so if you're looking for a game that looks like warcraft 3 and also has a 3 in the title go play warcraft 3 and then our final game here is called it's called conan chop chop this is a game where you play as uh, strong um cavemen with or barbarian men with really sticky legs uh this is i don't even know what to say this is just like this is just CGR. This is just concept art. This is like, there's no game. There's no picture of gameplay. This is literally just concept art. So if you want to spend like 20 bucks on an indie game that just downloads and gives you concept art, you can do that. Or you can just hold out for Halo Infinite, which is what I'm going to do. So that's going to do it for our podcast this week, guys. Thank you so much for sticking through. We're at the two-hour mark. Fuck me. I'm going to be up all night editing this, but happy to do it because I really do enjoy doing this podcast. Enjoy uh, saying whatever the hell I just said for the past two hours and appreciate your support as always guys remember to leave very positive uh, reviews on iTunes remember to subscribe on YouTube follow me on Instagram at Jesse underscore DeRosa follow me on Twitter this week I will be tweeting from the Beats by Dr. Dre account I'm very into I, I've women hide your children I've become an audiophile so I'm very into audio I'm very into beating by Dr. Dre and yeah, so I will be tweeting from that account all week. Uh, be sure to look out for me. You'll know when I'm the one tweeting from the account because I'll do a little I'll do a little PS at the end of every tweet. I'll put PS XO like Xbox on. So if you're looking to see if I'm tweeting, just follow the Dr. Dre Beats uh, Twitter account and you'll see me there. Otherwise, speaking of beats, speaking of beating, uh, speaking of being beaten and music. Eric will now beat us off I and mean, play us off with one of his beautiful songs. So take it away, Eric, and we'll see you all next week.